Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, just turn to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to just read a couple verses uh, before we get into Corinthians. So Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One of the things that happens to us as believers is God moves us with compassion when we see people because he has a heart for people. He, he has a heart for people, especially those who are like sheep without a shepherd. And many people are like that in the world today uh, where they are confused and they are helpless and God has compassion. And so because he does and because he moves through us, he moves us with compassion. So as we press in on the Lord and as we strengthen our relationship with the Lord, you'll find that God will start impressing on you more and more compassion for people around you. And he says yeah. Uh, they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I think most times as, as churches, we pray for the harvest. And Jesus says, Don't worry about the harvest. Pray for workers. Because the harvest has always been great. It's been great since Jesus said these words 2,000 years ago, and nothing's changed. The harvest is still great, and the workers are still few. And so we believe that the Bible preaches the priesthood of all believers. And so this morning we're going to look at servant-hearted workers. And just have a look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 5. And just as we, as we look at this passage, we're reading about the letter to the Corinthian church. And uh, this is a church that's divided. This is a church that's elevated their leaders and pride. Uh, this is a church that's arguing over doctrine. It's a church that's immature and it's conforming to the pattern of this world instead of being transformed with the mind of Christ. And so in many ways, this church reflects the church of our time, of our day and age. Amen? Denominations, celebrity preachers, spiritual immaturity, every wind of doctrine being preached. And the one commandment Jesus left his church to do is scarcely to be seen. Love one another. And so let's, have a, let's turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 3 and verses 5 to 9. We're going we're gonna to look at those verses. Those of you that are new, uh, we're just going through the book of 1 Corinthians at the moment. And uh, we've, we've got up to chapter 3 and verse 5. And uh, Paul, Paul says, he says, After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. 
Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, because uh, so you are, you are God's building. So just a couple of things that uh, I want to pull out of this uh, little bit of texture. Uh, I've got four points. The first point is this, is that God is looking to you servant-hearted Christians. Uh, I was going to entitle this message servant-hearted leaders, but I felt to change the word leaders to workers because Jesus needs workers in the harvest field. Okay, He does need leaders, but all of us are called to go and be a witness. It's interesting that if you read uh, the letter to Timothy, Timothy to me is a teacher because he's refuting doctrine. Paul's saying, preach, study to show yourself approved. I believe the gifting that, that uh, Timothy had was the gift of a teacher. And yet Paul says to him, do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because it's all of our job. It doesn't matter whether you're a prophet, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a bus driver, whether you're a banker. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called to be witnesses for God. That's it. <laughs> and Jesus needs workers, but he needs servant-hearted workers. So God is looking to use servant-hearted Christians. Paul says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants. You see, the Corinthian church had made superstars out of their pastors. Paul, Apollos, and other leaders. Paul says, hey, we're just servants. A servant only does what his master tells him to do. That means none of us can decide how we serve God, or when we serve God, or where we serve God. Servant doesn't choose those things. A servant goes to their master and says, what do you want me to do? And then they go and do that. <laughs> How often do we come up with a good idea in our heads without consulting God? And then we go ahead and do it. And then down the line, when we're struggling, we pray to God and ask God for help when he didn't even tell us to do the thing in the first place. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. At one stage, I wanted to relocate to India. Amen. Take my family there. I was passionate about leading the lost to Jesus, and I saw a nation with one billion people in it. That's where I want to go. One billion, we're going to move to India. It's going to take Jen and the kids. And uh, I wanted to serve God in India. And uh, we were learning Hindi. Jen and I went, uh, we were doing Hindi lessons. We were, getting, we were serious about going there. And, uh, and then another couple in the church were called to India, and they went. And I was disappointed. <laughs> India was the country I was going to go to. Now, they've gone there. I wanted to be the first one to go to India from our church. Now I've got to pick another nation, something that doesn't have a billion people in, maybe China. But 
I, I was like upset about this. And, and when you can't celebrate someone else going and fulfilling a calling of God, something's wrong in your heart. Amen? You notice how many times in that little description I said the word, I, I want to go to India. I want to see the lost saved. I want to take my family there. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do the next thing. In fact, my exact words to my pastor at the time were, I want to go to India and preach the gospel. That was it. Not God's told me. Not I feel the Holy Spirit stirring me. I want to go to India. (laughs) Anyway, we found out the hard way that God hadn't called us to go to India. But he had called us to go to Australia. So, what did I do? I picked Brisbane. Because I love the beach. True story. We were going to go to Brisbane. We had schools picked out. We had the suburb we liked. And we were going to live in that suburb. And we were going to go to Brisbane. And uh, everything was all in planning and all, uh, all in place. And then my wife had a dream. And in her dream, one of the elders in the church that we were in at the time walked up to her and said, the place where you want to go is not the place where God wants you to go. And so like a very mature Christian, I said, that's a load of rubbish. That's not from God. (laughs) That's too much pizza. And we found out later, God actually wanted us to go to Melbourne. (laughs) And so here we are in the will of God. But I want to tell you, there was a lot of me wanting to do stuff. And God having to direct me gently and say, actually, it's not the plan I have for you. There's just too much I and not enough him in those sentences. You see, God wants to use servant-hearted people. And a servant goes to the master and says, what do you want me to do? Before I come with my good idea to God and say, hey, God, how about I do this for you? A servant doesn't do that. A servant says, Master, what do you want me to do? And then goes and does it. That's that's being a servant. The prayer of a servant is not my will be done, but your will, O Lord. You see, we like to put the cart before the horse. (laughs) We like to do something and then hear God. Instead of hearing God first and then going and doing it. It's actually the opposite of faith. Faith is hearing God and obeying. You have to hear the voice of God first to have faith. Faith comes by hearing, not by doing. Doing is what comes after you hear. <laughs> I think God is challenging us. Maybe he's putting, putting his finger on a few areas in our lives. Even right now, you're thinking, oh, my word. There's a lot of I in what I'm doing at the moment. And God's putting his finger. Let me give you a little test to see if this, uh, if this is what God is saying to you. The thing that you're struggling with, the thing that you're thinking about now, can you come before the Lord honestly 
and say this. If this thing that I'm doing is not of you, tell me and I will stop it today. <laughs> That's the test. Or is it, oh, I can't stop this. Well, then you're holding on too tight. If God came to me tomorrow and said, I want you to hand this leadership role over to someone else, I'd do it. Because it's something that God has given me. It's not something I've strived for or grasped with my own two hands. Anyway, let's move on. That's the first point. Servant-hearted Christians God is looking for. The second thing is that we're simply a channel, not the source. We're just a channel through which God ministers. We're not the source. Amen. <coughs> Paul says it here. He says, we're only God's servants through whom you believe the gospel. So they heard the gospel through the servants. Not directly from God himself, but through his workers. But the, the workers aren't the source. They didn't invent the gospel. It's just God ministering through them. They're the channel. Paul says, hey, we're just servants of God, but this message comes from God through his workers or through his servants. Romans 10, verse 14 and 15. It says, Romans 10, verse, just write it down, I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? How are people going to hear unless someone tells them? What does that tell me? It says God's not going to do it. And just a step out of the way, you're doing such a terrible job, I'm going to do it. He's patient and he waits for us. And he's saying, I want you to be the, message, the messenger. I want you to be the channel through which my life will flow. See, there are two Greek words for servant in the New Testament. The first one is doulos. The second one is diakonos. Probably, probably find the uh, pronunciation is wrong. But anyway, doulos means a servant who is a slave. Okay? It has to do with serving a master, a singular master. When it, when, when it talks about us serving in this way, it means we don't have multiple masters. It means we don't, we're not the master in some areas of our life and God's the master in other areas. Well, these doors I'll open to you, Lord, but there's a couple of rooms in my home that I'm just not going to allow you in because I'm the boss of that key. I'm the boss. Doulos is, I've got my master, I do what he says. Okay? D-O-U-L-O-S. Did I spell it right? D-O-U-L-O-S. The second word, which is the word that's used in this scripture, is diakonos, which is a servant who is a waiter or a minister. Like a waiter, waiting on tables. That's the servant that it's talking about. This word has to do with us being a channel through which God ministers. See, a waiter comes to the table and he says, would you like a drink with that meal, man? And then you order your food and the waiter goes and brings the food and gives it to you. The waiter didn't cook the food. Amen? The chef cooked it. 
The waiter just brings the food and gives it to the person. He's the channel or she's the channel. That's what this, this verse is talking about. We are not the source of ministry. We're just a channel. We have no power of our own to heal, to save, to deliver, to give revelation, to do anything that's going to impact people in the sense of the kingdom advancing. We don't have that power in ourselves. It's God working through us that enables us to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Enables us to share the gospel with someone and see them saved. Otherwise, we, we'd just be sharing a story and nothing would be happening. We'd be laying hands on people and nothing would be happening apart from us knocking a few hairs off their head. That's all that will happen. But there will be no power of God ministering. We're just a channel. We're not the source. Jesus said he's the vine and we're the branches. The root, the vine, is the source of all the nutrients. The branch just connects in, has no root of its own, but we rely totally on everything, all the good things that Jesus is pouring into our lives. That's the picture. You're just a branch. (laughs) I'm not meaning that in a negative way in any sense. I'm not trying to belittle who we are, but I'm wanting to break this mindset that says, Ooh, I don't want to pray for somebody because what if they don't get healed? If they don't get healed, you're not the source. You never will be the source. If they don't get saved, you're not the source. (laughs) All we've got to do is be obedient to God and go and preach the gospel and see what happens. Lay hands on the sick and see what happens. Raise the dead and see what happens. We're not the source. But the devil wants to come along and say, last time you prayed for someone, nothing happened. He wants to try and make you think you're the source. And the Corinthians are making this mistake. They're making Apollos and Paul their source. Oh, Apollos is such a great teacher. Oh, no, Paul is a great teacher. Oh, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. Who's following Jesus? <laughs> we can make the same mistake today. We make the pastor our source. He has to pray for me. If I bring a visitor here, the pastor must lead that person to the Lord. I can't do that. I remember a time when I was a lot younger as a Christian, and we were at this meeting, and they called people forward for ministry, uh, for like an impartation or something like that. Anyway, hundreds of people went forward. So many people had to make two lines. So here I am standing in one line, and going slowly, slowly, there's just a long line. Anyway, I look down there, and I notice the preacher is praying for the guys in the other line. I'm in the wrong line. I'm getting some random guy who I don't even know is going to pray for me for the impartation. I'm like, I need to get out of this line. I need to get in that line. And I couldn't get across. Why do we think like that? Because we make the pastor the source. We make the preacher the source and not God. (laughs) We don't see him or her as a servant, as a channel, as a waiter. We think the waiter made the food. The waiter's the one that's going to give me the food. God made the food. 
<clears throat> we think the pasta is the one who makes the meal. The pasta makes the pasta. Okay? That's how we think. Let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the behind the scenes truth. This message that I'm preaching is not my clever idea. I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> I didn't write the Bible. None of us did. I'm just quoting things that God has said. Okay? The Holy Spirit helped me put this message together. I've been on my knees praying, help me, Lord. That's what happens. And even now when I'm preaching, it's Him that's giving revelation. Otherwise, I'm just dishing out information. And you'll leave here, you won't be changed in the slightest. But every now and then the Holy Spirit quickens something in your life of what's being said, and that's God speaking to you, and only that has the power to change your life. Nothing else. And now here's the other thing. Not only am I bringing you this meal today that I didn't make, but I've had to eat this meal as well. Because God works on the people who are preaching before He lets them preach the message. So that we become the message. I'm the waiter and I'm the customer. I can't tell you to do these things if I'm not doing them myself. And that One of the things that uh, we've made a, a little rule in, in this church, and I know we're under grace and not under law, but we have this thing where we won't allow anybody to preach unless they're a prayer. Because we don't want anybody getting up here relying on their own strength and not on the Lord's. I'd rather somebody spend 10 hours in prayer and half an hour on preparation than 10 hours in preparation and half an hour in prayer. Because we need to rely on the Lord. It's only Him that makes a difference in our lives. I'd rather just get up here and just read three chapters of the Bible and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. I really would. If I haven't prayed. We're not the source. We're the waiter. I wonder how different social media would look if Christians applied this filter before they posted articles. Because I see a lot of preaching on Facebook and Instagram. But do you pray before you post? Let's get back to the main point. Have you made someone else your source? You might think, well, no, I haven't. Jesus is my source, praise God. He's the only one that I want. Have you made one of the pastors your source? What about your husband or your wife? Your friend, your mother, your father? See, it's very easy for us to make someone else our source because we can see them and just talk to them and touch them. They're physically here in front. But God is invisible. (laughs) So it's far easier for me to make Joel my source. When I've got a problem, I just go to Joel. Oh, I've got a problem. And instead of going to God and asking God what he thinks first, I'd rather go to Joel first. I'd rather read a magazine first. I'd rather do anything else first but go to the invisible God. 
<laughs> it's so easy to make something tangible our source. But here's the thing. All ministry flows from relationship with God. All ministry. When your relationship with God is strong, you're able to flow in ministry and see lives impacted. But when you don't have a relationship with God, you've got nothing to give people. Because you can only give what you have. When, when Peter and John uh, were, were walking up to the uh, temple complex to pray, there was a crippled guy sitting at the side of the road, and he called out asking for money. They said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we're giving to you. Get up and walk. You can't give what you don't have. When you have the Holy Spirit, you can give. When you have a relationship with God, you've got something to give. But when you haven't, you've got nothing to give other than in your own strength. And that makes no difference. You see, we're simply a channel. And this should bring freedom to us. It really should. It should bring a liberation to us. It should take off all the pressure from ministering to people, from praying for the sick. Oh, there's a guy at work. He's sick and I feel like God wants me to pray for him, but I'm petrified because what happens if nothing happens? This should just lift everything off. You're just a channel. But if that channel doesn't connect there, how is God going to heal that person with no channel? Paul says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. It's the ministry of God through us that's important. It's not important whether Joe prays for the sick or I pray for the sick. It's the fact that God is going to heal the sick. That's what's important. You're a channel. You're not the source. The third thing is this is that each of us has a different role to play. We're not in competition with each other. We all have a unique role and calling in God. And that role is given by God. Ephesians 2.10 Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. In other versions it says, the good things that He predestined before the foundations of the earth were laid. God planned good works for you to walk in. You're a masterpiece. Turn to the guy next to you and say, you're a masterpiece. <laughs> you truly are. You really are. I hope you believe that. <laughs> Before you were born, God planned out good works for you to do. And, and that plan is unique. And it's perfect for your life. It's absolutely perfect for your life. Paul planted. Apollos watered. Doesn't say Paul planted and Apollos planted. Paul planted, Apollos came, he uprooted it, he planted it again. Paul didn't do a good enough job. No. Paul planted and Apollos watered. We could say in our context that Tom planted and I watered. But the reality is, <coughs> excuse me, is that Tom and Sandra and a team planted. And Russ 
and Jen and a team are watering. It's a team effort. But I do want to say thank you to Tom and Sandra for obeying God. Really, thank you guys. Because none of us would be here if that wasn't the case. Amen? Let's thank them. Give them a round of applause. (laughs) In fact, some of the team that helped them plant are here today. They've been with, with Tom and Sandra and with us from the beginning. It's wonderful. It's a team effort. <clears throat> Just as Paul and Apollos had different functions, we have different functions in the body of Christ. That's a wonderful thing. God has a special role for you. The Bible says if everybody was the eye, where would the sense of smell be? Where would the hearing be? And everybody wants to be one thing. No, we all need to be different. Whatever God's called you to do, whatever he's gifted you to do, whatever he's put inside of you, he wants you to be that person and no one else. So who do you compare to? No one. Because there is no one to compare to. Because there's no one else that's got the same calling as you. You'll never, ever find someone else that you can compare with. How am I doing in this thing? Because... John over here is called to do the same thing. You won't find such a person. (laughs) That's freeing. Amen? The thing is, the enemy wants to distract us, doesn't he? You see, if he can't stop us being saved, then what does he do? He comes and tries to stop us from being effective in our serving God. He doesn't want us to be servant-hearted workers. He doesn't want us to fulfill this unique calling that God has got for us. He wants to stop us in our tracks, and he wants us to conform to the pattern of this world. That's why Romans 12, verse 2, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age or the pattern of this world. Who do you think's behind that? The devil. It's not just, hey, the world is just like this corrupting place, and because I'm in it, I'm getting conformed. There is a strategy behind it. There's a thinking behind this. Somebody trying to stop God's people being effective. Because he doesn't want channels that God can flow through. If he can stop all of that, well then, how's God going to reach people? He actually can't. Do you know that? God cannot Break his word. And he said, it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known. God has said it, and that means he cannot change. So if Satan can stop the church, he stopped God. Do you get that? (laughs) God will never, ever break his word. We somehow think, well, if I don't do it, God will just step in. No, he won't. Because he said something in his word that it's through you and I. He will never, ever, ever break that word. Ever. And if he does, he's not God. (laughs) Anyway, getting off track here. And then it says, So don't be conformed to this age, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God for your life. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. But we've got to allow God to transform us, to transform our thinking, because worldly thinking will never help us in serving God. The world doesn't think like this. The world doesn't think servant, doesn't think be a channel. It doesn't think you have a totally unique role in which God will use you. 
It's all competitive and all trying to be like everybody else. Everyone's trying to wear blue jeans and have a beard or whatever it is. That's the world. <laughs> you mean you resemble that? <laughs> that was just off the top of my head. But, but you know what happens. I mean, you've all, been at, you've all been teenagers or whatever at one stage. Suddenly, like, everybody's got to have certain kind of socks. And then everybody wears the same socks. Or everybody wears the same hat. Or everybody wears the same shoes. Or whatever it is. And if you don't, you don't fit in. And yet God's saying, I've got a totally unique role for your life. And you fit. <laughs> in your uniqueness. <clears throat> Amen. But this battle is taking place in our minds. I really believe the Holy Spirit speaking to people right now. He's speaking to you. He's breaking down wrong mindsets. And I, I think the Holy Spirit is reminding people of things that he's maybe said years ago. Yeah, things that God wanted you to walk in. Maybe you haven't for whatever reason. Maybe circumstances have happened or whatever it is. Maybe you just don't know. Maybe you're a new believer here and you are feeling stirred in some area. And you're feeling like, actually, maybe God is saying for me to do this or that or the next thing. Yeah. I want to encourage you. Respond to the Lord. Yeah. Respond to what He's doing in your life. Respond in faith and just say, God, I'm making myself available to be used by you. All you have to do is be a channel. You don't have to come up with the goods. You don't have to go to cooking school and learn how to bake well or cook well. Just be a waiter. Just get food from the storehouse of God and take it to people and say, Hey, how about this? Jesus loves you. <laughs> or whatever. You know? When we spend time with God and He reveals stuff to us, we can take that and reveal it to people. And it's, that's all we're doing is just being that waiter backwards and forwards. And if they say, Well, I didn't, I didn't order that. Well, I don't like this food. It's not my problem. I'm the waiter. Go talk to the chef. <laughs> Take it up with the Lord. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah, I, I think He's shining a light on our, in our lives. He's shining a light in our in our minds and saying, "Hey, remember that, or look at that. That needs to change." <laughs> Psalm one hundred and nineteen, verse one hundred and thirty says, "The revelation of Your Word brings light." This, this, is not a, this is the spoken word of God. It's not just words on a page like this, but it's when you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit makes it alive to us, it shines a light on us. Suddenly we're like, whoa, whoa, I can see there's an area in my life that I didn't even know was there. I didn't even know I was going down this wrong path. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He shines light. He illuminates. And suddenly we're seeing things truthfully for the first time. And he gives understanding to the inexperienced. You were created to do good works. <clears throat> One of the things um, I really love to do is, is, I might teach on this next time we do discipleship training. But faith and works and the relationship between the two of them I think is hugely confused in the church. 
at the moment. We've got the order all wrong, so we're throwing things out and we're not putting other things in. But God, just, just take this away. God, before you were born, thought up good works for you to do and to walk in. Just hold that phrase. I know some of you are thinking it's not about works or whatever. That's another whole preach that we'll get to. But just for now, the Bible says God made good works. Not just any old works. Good works. And his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. That means you'll actually enjoy doing what God's called you to do. You have a role to play. You have a role to play in this local church context. New Gen City Church. Not just about serving God anywhere and anyhow out there. But in this church, if you believe God has put you here, you have a role to play. And before you were born, God thought up good works that you could do in this church. (laughs) When you read the book of Acts, all ministry takes place in the context of a local church. It's either a local church sending people or receiving people. Or planting a local church because people got saved. It's all local church from the beginning all the way through to the end of Acts. There's no such thing as just this kind of lone ranger Christianity. I'm doing my thing, serving God, independent of a local church. It's not in there. Acts 2 verse 41 and Acts 2 verse 47. 41 and 47. I'll read them to you. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 and all so 3,000 people got saved and what happened they were added into the church the local church verse 47 all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved It wasn't just people were getting saved and just kind of, well, that's wonderful. The kingdom's being advanced. They were added into a local church. (laughs) It's important. It really is. And God has a place for you in this church. But everybody has a unique calling. Everyone has a unique place. Some are going to be kneecaps. Some are going to be lungs. Some are going to be ears or earlobes. Some are going to be nostrils. I don't know. All different. And we need all of it. We need all of it. Because imagine I was standing here and I didn't have a nose. (laughs) Or ears. Or one arm. You know, it would be incomplete. But every single one of us has a part to play. But it's about going to God and finding out, what do you want me to do? That's the attitude of a servant. So let me just end here. I'm going to wrap it up now just with some practical handles. What do you do? What can you do? Maybe you are feeling like, hey, you know what? I feel like I'm stuck in sinking sand. I want to serve God, but I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to break out of where I am. Here's some practical things that you can do. Number one, two things. Number one is return to your first love, and number two is just get involved. When I'm talking about returning to your first love, The reason I'm saying that is because all ministry flows from relationship with God. If that's in trouble, if your relationship with God is in tatters, it needs fixing. Okay? Cultivate your relationship with God through prayer and worship, individually and corporately. 
sometimes we need to be together to encourage one another, to come alongside of people. Hey, you had a breakthrough. I'm struggling. That's wonderful to hear. It encourages me and I, I get lifted. <clears throat> Let God grow a hunger for you in him. And a hunger comes from pressing in on the Lord. It doesn't come from, Lord, I'm so far from you. Do something in my life and make me hungry. <laughs> if you have an eating disorder, like uh, where you've lost your appetite, you've got to eat to get that appetite back. It doesn't just go boom and you change. Suddenly you're hungry. You develop an appetite by eating and eating and eating, and you want more and more and more. It's the same with God. <laughs> Read and study the Bible and obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's under returning to your first love. Then the second thing is getting involved. Make yourself available. Let the leaders know that you are willing and available. <laughs> Just let us know. Hey, I want to get more involved. I want to do something. What do you think? doesn't mean telling a leader, this is what you want to do. Because a servant comes and says, I want to get involved. What, you know? And then a leader might say, well, what do you feel? Then you can say, not I want to do this for the church. But it's not our vision. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, we are following God. We are trying to do what God wants to do. This is not my vision for this church. If it was my vision, it would look totally different. <laughs> it would. <laughs> But praise the Lord, he's got the perfect plan for this. It would be a mess if I was trying to decide what's going to go on here. Sometimes there's also a need in the church that may not be your thing, but it needs to be done. That's another message. Okay? Sometimes being on team requires playing out of position. That's just how church works. Look for opportunities to serve. Just get on the front foot. Be proactive about it. Don't wait. Don't wait for someone to come and say, hey, why don't you do something? And then get yourself equipped. Because if you're going to minister to the sick and if you're going to preach the gospel, there's equipping that you need. You know? Jesus said to all of us, go and make disciples and you can be equipped to do that. You might be sitting here thinking, I wouldn't even know the first thing. How do I go and make disciples? I don't even know where to start. Well, we can equip you to do that. Every now and then we have discipleship training times. We have Victorian equipped times. We have Australian equipped times. We go to the nations. If you're serious about being used by God, get to these things. Because it's not going to happen by going, yeah, I'd love to be equipped, but I couldn't be bothered going to these things. It's all happening around you. Get involved. <laughs> Love and care for people. Welcome newcomers. Invite people into your homes. Meet people for coffee. Have a coffee with someone new after the meeting. We're a community and we're a family. If God has added you in here, have a heart to meet people and go, hey, I've never met that person. Let me go and meet them. Otherwise, what's the point of God adding you in here if you're going to be like, ooh, I'm just going to stay in my little circle here and never meet people? Well, why has he added you into this body to encourage others if you're not going to meet others? <laughs> Love and care for people. Become a worshiper. 
Let your private worship overflow in public meetings. Worship God privately. Can I just say something here? Is that I've been, I'm on both sides of the coin here. Before I had my stroke, I was leading music. I was leading the music team. After I had my stroke, my voice is a bit like wonky in certain parts. I can't hit the notes that I used to hit. And so sometimes when I'm singing, my voice just goes off on a tangent. But I am still just as much a worshiper now as what I've ever been. It's got nothing to do with how well you sing. It's a heart thing. So that's why the Bible says, make a joyful noise. <laughs> doesn't say make a joyful tune. Make a joyful noise. Amen. Amen. Yeah. But that's what it's all about. It's all about relationship with God. So if you don't like singing, if you come here late because you don't like the singing, something's wrong with your relationship with God. Just being honest. Just the waiter delivering a food. Eh? Don't blame me if you don't like it. <laughs> Take it up with the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord eh, for being a, a waiter. Actively seek the gifts of the Spirit. Desire to be used by the Holy Spirit. Come expectant to every meeting for God to use you. Come to a home group expectant to give. Come to the prayer meeting expectant to give. Come to this meeting expectant for God to use you. Otherwise, hey, I'll just come here. Just, you know, let me see if I enjoy myself this morning. That's not what it's about. We're channels. God wants to flow through us. And you may not get to preach or whatever, but you can speak to people before and after the meeting. You can pray for people. You can meet new people and encourage them. You can have a coffee. You can invite them into your homes. You can disciple one another. Amen? And then the last point, and it's quite an important one. Give financially and give generously. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Where you put your money, your heart's going to go. If you don't put your money in this church, you will never have a heart for this church. Ever. You'll never get a heart for this place if you're stingy with your money. But if you really want to get a heart, be generous. That's not an easy thing for me to say as a pastor. But it's the truth. Where your treasure is, whatever you put your money into, that's where your heart's going to go. If you put all your money into the world, guess where your heart's going to end up? In the world. You put all your money into clothes and material things, that's what you're going to love. If you put all your money into buying a fancy car or a fancy house, that's where your heart's going to go. But if you want a heart for the local church, put your money into it. Generously. Amen. I'm just a waiter. <laughs> it's more than okay to buy a Ford. <laughs> Amen. If you can afford it. Ah, I'll, cut, I'll cut that out of the uh, tape. That was cheesy. That was cheesy. <laughs> All right. Let's stand and we're going to pray.